0: Nick at Night is a production of Council Communications.
1: Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the Nick at Night Show. Have we got a hot tamale for you tonight? There is so much stuff. There's no way I'm going to get to everything tonight. There's two reasons for that. One, because there's way too much stuff. And two, I have two guests this evening. Now, if you were watching Facebook, I first put up that my first guest was going to be Vlad from VladTepisBlog.com. Um... Except that I had to change that. <laughs> so my second-hour guest has graciously agreed to come in for the first hour, and Vlad will be with us in the second hour. And my first guest is with a student studio. His name is Jay Tysik, and if that name rings a bell, it should, because oh, about, uh, what's it been now, three, four months
2: now? About four months.
1: Uh, since you, you need to snuggle up that mic a little bit. There we go. Anyway, uh, we um, he went through the whole process of becoming the candidate or running in a in a um, candidate nomination process to become the PC party candidate in the next election, only to be disqualified f- with no explanation at the last minute. And that, of course, is why that name all of a sudden goes ding, ding, ding. I know that name. Now you know why. So Jay has been following a lot of uh, provincial and federal politics um, rather intently over the last little while. We've had a few conversations over the last few weeks and decided that... Um, Tonight would be a good night to bring it, bring in, bring him in, and we're going to be talking about provincial politics, federal politics, where we see the province going. Just we're going to take the first hour and talk provincial politics, um, and in the second hour, of course, with uh, Vlad, we'll be getting into what's going on in Europe uh, with uh, the attack in London today. Uh, we'll be talking about uh, the fallout from the Dutch election and what's going on in the uh, in the Carpathian Valley in the in Central Europe with Hungary and and those countries, basically flipping the EU the bird when it comes to immigration and who gets to say what happens in what country. So that's kind of the program for this evening. I hope you'll stay with us. The numbers are three four three seven zero zero forty three ninety. Or you can call 844 562 4766. You can email me at nick at latenightcouncil.com. So I'll give you those numbers one more time 343 700 4390. Long distance is 844 562 4766. So if you want to make a comment, if you want to uh, ask uh, one of my guests or myself a question, please feel free. This talk, the thing about a talk show host is it's not a monologue show, it's a talk show, which means you call me, we talk, and we have a great time and everybody enjoys the conversation. Jay, thank you for being with us this evening.
2: My pleasure. Thanks for inviting.
1: All right, so bring people up to speed. Before we get, let's kinda of set the table as I love that lingo. Set the table. I sound so so I was gonna say CNN ish, but that's not necessarily a compliment, is it? Um, journalistic. That's the word, journalistic. Uh, kinda of set the table for us about what's happened since uh, the nomination process that you went through or were pulled through or dragged through, however way you <laughs> want to phrase it. Uh, when was that, in October?
2: Yeah, end of October, uh, I received my notification, but the actual nomination was uh, November 5th.
1: Okay, that's right. Yeah. My memory is good, but painfully short. Yeah. Okay, so what's been going on since then?
2: Well, a lot of following what's going on with other nominations. I mean, what happened to me was by no means an isolated incident. We see it all across the province. You've probably seen that in the news. There's been a number of people who have been removed without any reason there's been a number of people who have resigned citing you know that it was rigged and they just weren't going to be part of the process it's been it's been quite a mess so as far as provincial politics that's been kind of the biggest thing is just them moving through these nomination processes and not one of them going smoothly for them well you know something if that's the way you're going to run your
1: ship then don't be surprised if things don't go well the the refreshing um Exception to that case was young Mr. Oosterhoff. Yeah. That was a wonderful victory for democracy, if I can put it, paint it in those grandiose terms. But to see him a second time, hmm. you know, come out on top, uh, it must have rattled the leadership because there's no way they expected
2: him to win a second time. And, you know, just honestly, nobody expected to see a sitting. MPP, an incumbent being challenged for their seat, like th- this is usually unheard of. It's so very rare, but we've seen it a lot coming up in, in this round of nominations provincially.
1: Now, when we t- when we're talking about um, the, the whole problem, when you look at the scene with the with the Progressive Conservative Party, I mean, we've uh, I've spent my fair share of time bashing on Patrick Brown, and the reason I I do it is because I don't see him as a conservative. I see him as an opportunist. He's somebody who's looked at the political landscape and said, I think I can win as a conservative, even though I'm not really one. And that's the banner I'm going to fly. And if I'm going to run in this thing, I want to run it. And it's had its consequences. Um, I guess when you look at this, put yourself in the shoes of the uh, common voter and ask yourself, if the election were today, where would you cast the ballot?
2: You asking me? I am asking you. Um, I I find it hard to decide right now, but if you look at the actual polls, I mean, the most popular leader right now for any of the three parties is, is strangely Horwath. Like, I mean, uh, Patrick Brown's party may be slightly up in the polls, the PCs, but I mean, that's a lot of brand loyal people and that's a lot of people who see them as a viable opposition to Kathleen Wynne and the Liberals, who a lot of people are upset with and Tired of. Um, Rightly so. So strangely, while the PC party is ahead, um, as far as leaders go, most people like Andrea. They don't like Patrick. They don't like Win. Now, how that's going to translate, we still have yet to see. But what I expect is we're going to see a populist movement similar to what we've seen in the in like England and in uh, the states with the election of Trump. We're going to see something like that. But I, I can't see Patrick. Leading be, that church? Doing that, yeah. So I imagine we'll see something Bernie Sanders-esque from Andrea Horwath, where they lead this socialist, populist movement and surge up to victory. That's sadly so what let me, I think let, has an the best chance of happening.
1: So you're telling me that if Andrea Horwath even takes one step to the right, that she could be the next, because people go, that's good enough for me, rather than the other two alternatives and vote in an NDP government?
2: Well, I think right now most people go liberal um, just because it, it's a safe centrist bet, they think. I mean, we know they've moved to the left, but the, a lot of people are don't really recognize it yet. But just in the same way that in the States, everyone expected Democrat. Right. You know, and Trump came up on the right and Bernie Sanders kind of to the left of. Was he ever? And, you know, there's a lot of speculation as to whether or not Bernie could have beat Trump. You know, uh, that's possible. So I, I could see her... Andrea Horwath leading the party in that kind of populist movement of we're going to represent all those people who are frustrated and upset with the establishment.
1: Okay, so maybe my my understanding was backwards. Maybe she takes one step to the left and puts some distance between herself and the, and the Liberals and the and the Conservatives because, as we've discussed before, I see no real substantive difference between Brown and Wynn.
2: There isn't one. Well,
1: yes, yeah, because yeah. the policies are all pretty much the same. The few that we know about. Coming out of the PCs, you know, I I I, I read something in the in Ottawa Sun today that it, it just kind of smacked me in the face. We all know Andre Marin from her, his days trying to become a PC candidate. Yeah, he was a former Solicitor General.
2: I think going back, he was Attorney General. No, he was just the Ombudsman that I. Ombudsman,
1: that's yeah. it. O- Ontario Ombudsman. Yes. That's I, I. You're right. Anyway, he was um, um, commenting in a guest column today in the Sun. That the SIU, this, uh, what the S.I.U., the acronym is escaping me, not the Secret Intelligence Unit. but Special the, Investigations. Thank you. Special yeah. Investigations Unit hasn't filed a year-end report since 2015. Hmm. And he's going, why is that? Is it sitting on the Attorney General's desk, on the NACFI's desk, and he just hasn't published it or put it out there? Or have they not filed one at all? again this this all goes to the quality of the government so the point is that I, I think that when you when you look at the two uh, when you look at the three options you really only have two and even then the lines are very muddy amongst them
2: yeah I do i before we move on from that thought uh, when I say a populist movement I don't necessarily mean right or left it's not about kind of the politics it's about establishment or not establishment if you're saying we're going to go against this establishment, we're going to, you know, as they say, drain the swamp. And I think Bernie did that. He said I'm going to lead the people against the government. And Trump said the same thing just from the other side. Just what I mean by populist is someone who's saying this system is broken and I'm going in to fix it. That's how they'll rally people behind them.
1: I suppose, you know, uh, from that persp- from that uh, an- analysis and from that definition, then of course that makes sense. Uh, when I hear populist, see, I think that the word populist has been hijacked. And uh, it, <coughs> what, uh, when I hear the word populist, I think of patriotic, like when they talk about the populist vote in the states. Mm. I think what you're looking at is a rise in patriotism where people care more about the country they live in than this whole global village nonsense. Isn't that what Le
2: Pen said? The new battle is not between left and right. It's between globalists and Patriots.
1: And I I see that very much as a right and left battle, to tell you the truth, Mm -hmm. because who are the ones who want the globalist village? They're usually those who are what we call progressives. And people like me, um, you know, who are nationalist in their thinking, who want a clear definition of roles between nations and and what constitutes a nation and what constitutes participating on the world stage, Mm. um, you know, I would call myself, uh, you know, from the right hand side of the spectrum. So, From that perspective, I still look at it that way. But the point is, she makes a very valid point. It's not about, uh, you know, the the way we used to think about politics has gone from internal to external. And now it's, this is my country and you're not going to mess with it. Versus, no, countries are really just things of the past and we all have to learn to live and get along with each other on a global sense. And countries are nothing more than symbolism anymore. They don't really mean anything because we're all one big happy family. That's the different. That's the way that.
2: Oh, I mean, we've existed together on this planet since the beginning of humankind, and we did so with nations. There was uh, nations don't breed disunity globally. I think it's that's the real diversity. Is not some homogeny, some global like oneness and sameness, which is what they bring in. I think it's lots of distinct, unique cultures working to go, together cooperatively. You know, um, I believe we as people didn't really start to hit our stride in terms of advancement and technological uh, progress and and building really until we started to trade and intermingle you know when we stopped just being tribes that
0: yeah, were local sure. yeah, yeah. when
2: we hit the seas we started to discover you know cuz one group over there would be working on one thing that we had no idea of and we'd be working on something they didn't and we shared we shared this technology and and it bettered all of the human race but we did so in the context of our cultures and our groups, and, and we worked cooperatively with everyone, but we protected what we had. And th- there was nothing wrong with that.
1: And I think that people, because by nature, we like to belong to groups. Hmm. Uh, that goes back to the tribal instinct. And I think the largest single group that a, 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 a group of people can belong to is the nation-state, yep. because they can still hold that the leaders of that nation-state to account. But if you take that and make it on a global level... Uh, even if all thirty-six million Canadians voted exactly the same on every ballot, when you're talking about seven billion people, we're dropping the bucket, and our voices would be lost in in the chaos. Mm. So this, that's why I don't like this whole globalism in that sense. I mean, I'm for trade with other countries and so on. That's that's uh, I hear what you're saying there, but when it comes to this idea that we have to, when the prime minister said we're a post-nationalist country, I had oh my, are we in trouble? Mm. Because I know you meant by that
2: maintaining our sovereignty and our unique identity within the world, right? And I think we do that with borders. We do that with nations. It also
1: it it also keeps your house safe.
2: Yeah.
1: I mean, uh, my son had a brilliant saying about this illegal immigration. He said uh, he he stole I think he stole it from a a quote on Reddit somewhere. But the quote went something like, um, "Illegally entering a country no more makes you a citizen than breaking into a house makes you a member of the family." And I thought, yeah, that's exactly right. So, well,
2: all you right. Know, I love my neighbors. I, I, yes, I know but they're your neighbors, not your family. And often I'll invite them in. But if they were coming and going for my house as, <laughs> as they pleased, it wouldn't be long before I stopped liking them. Right. You know, yeah. like they don't get to choose when they come into my house. What's the old saying? Good fences make good Great neighbors. Good neighbors, yes, and exactly. That, that's true in a community. Where you get along great with all your neighbors, but you build your fence. It's true in a a country where you get along great with all your neighbors, but you protect the border.
1: All right, with that, we'll take a break. We'll be back with more Jay Tysick right after this.
3: greater ottawa truckers association the voice of independent truckers in the ottawa area and proud supporters of nick at night every day we go to work to help build a better eastern ontario and safety is our top priority every start of the shift our drivers perform inspections on their truck so we ensure that our drivers go home to their families each night and you the public have confidence that the big truck beside you is safe If you have any issues relating to any size truck, I encourage you to contact me at 613-738-1639. Let's build a better, fatality-free Ottawa together.
1: All right, thanks for staying with us, folks. Let me give you those numbers again. 343-700-4390 or 844-562-4766. My guest this evening is Jay Tysik. He'll be in for the first hour, and Vlad, Vlad from VladTepesBlog.com uh, Vlad will be in. for. The, he'll be joining us by telephone in the second hour, so we've got all kinds of things on the table. Um, so let me get back to Jay. We were kind of just... Chewing the fat, as it were, about uh, you know a lot of things are going on. But let's 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 get a little more specific about Ontario. Um, when you're talking to people in your day-to-day uh, course of events, because you're a political animal like I am, um, what's your sense of the of the electorate, at least in your in your circle? What are, are people, you know, frustrated to the point they don't want to vote? Are they angry and looking to make make moves and make changes? What's the
2: what's the mood out there? Furious. They're they're absolutely upset with everything they've seen go on and uh yeah they're they're asking for change and and wondering how we achieve that um people don't know who to vote for you know and and when i'm talking to them they're like upset and we can commiserate together and just talk about the horrors that we're seeing and then they go but what do we do yes you know and that is a very good question they're like i can't vote for any of the parties right now so i guess i'm just staying home some have said they're going to hold their nose and vote PC. Some have said they're going to hold their nose and vote NDP. Some not at all. I haven't heard anyone say they'll hold their nose and vote for the Liberals. But <laughs> No, <laughs> I don't think there's enough nose holding going on to be able
1: yeah, to do not that. Not in my circle of friends anyway.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
2: but uh, no, it's it's frustration. And what, what I think the sense is, and I, I've mentioned this a few times in my post, just that I think this is what has led to this voter apathy. There's just a sense out there of accepting corruption from the like by the people that are meant to oh do you want to say no keep going um, there's a sense of like the people in positions of stopping the corruption who are just complacent and accepting it about it and apathetic and so the voter sees this and hears this and they just they, they get disengaged they go what's the point and it's like you know someone who loses faith in god they, they don't you know, just go, well, I don't like this church. I'll find another one. No, they've lost faith. They stopped going to church altogether, and they feel this system is broken, and they just want no part of it anymore. And we just see the voter numbers declining as a result. Now,
1: you mentioned the people in, in the position to do something about it, just don't care. Mm. There's a specific example <laughs> that I want you to talk about.
2: <laughs> Which one would that be, Nick?
1: Oh, gee, <laughs> I don't know. Could it be some real tough macho guy who wanted to take on, get into a fist fight with a 77-year-old man who happened to be a cancer survivor? could it be? I, I
2: think it might be that guy. You're talking about Ken Zeiss, by any chance? Hey, that name rings a bell. Yeah. Well, he, <laughs> he's an interesting case. And sadly, not alone. Um, I, I think what you're talking about for the listeners, and they might not be aware, is obviously they we've seen a scandal happening at the uh, federal level. See, they not want to steal your thunder. Yeah, thanks. Um, No, we've seen a a scandal at the federal level with uh, voter fraud, like registration fraud, fraud, where people, candidates, potentially, and their staff are are breaking the rules to register members not in accordance with the rules, um, and additionally, uh, potentially without their knowledge, you know, and they're doing so through community organizers, and I... That that's concerning, and we'll get to that in a moment. But how this relates to Ken Zeiss is Ken Zeiss uh, made a comment recently that ah oh, everybody does it; it's no big deal. It always happens. I got to tell and you, when for I those read who that, don't know, he's ahead. he's currently well, he's the past president of the PC Party, and he's currently the overseeing the nominations for Patrick Brown, and he's in their inner circle. And as we've discussed, these uh, nominations have been anything but uh, smooth, smooth, and. I Go got to tell you, when yeah. I first
1: read those comments, I don't remember being that angry in a long time mm. because the arrogance that's built into that, yeah. the condescension, the flippancy, all the negative vices, all, all the negativity that you can think of is summed up in that sentence mm. because that's simply not true it's absolutely not true it's just insane to even suggest it and to say it's no big deal i'm sorry it is a very
2: big deal huge it's a cornerstone of our democracy is it, believing that the election you know are what this goes and, even and beyond that this is the say. cornerstone of what it is to be a decent human being hmm.
1: cheating has always been looked down upon by everybody that i can think of that i hold in any kind of regard whether it's family members politicians look if you can't win fair and square, if you have to cheat, then you shouldn't be in the game. Hmm. It's just it's it's so, funda-
2: it, it, it's so fundamentally wrong to endorse and condone cheating. Well, I mean, we put our kids into sports, I mean, not just because it's fun, but we want them to learn those valuable life lessons about Precisely. fair play and play about hard good, play good the sportsmanship win. and about hard work pays off. Yep. If you're willing to work for it, you're going to attain it. And when you see at the highest levels uh just cheating going on not only is it not even called out but it's it's known and it's accepted then it's frustrating because how do you tell your kid then don't cheat and they're like well they cheated and look they won you know and nobody's doing anything about it this is the part that's frustrating
1: yeah absolutely when they you're absolutely right and it's like the olympics takes cheating very seriously you get caught a <laughs> okay. lot of okay. I'll take
2: your word for it. <laughs> well no, they they have drug testing yeah, and they yeah. do
1: the now, could they do better? <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. But the point is there's at least this facade if if you yeah. want if you want to just say that, there's a facade of some kind of check and balance against cheating. Yeah. Okay. For those of us in everyday life, we have the criminal code. Mm. If we get caught cheating, we are going to be punished for that, up to taking our very freedom away by putting us in a little cage. Hmm. Okay? Yeah, for this guy to come out and say, it's no big deal. Everybody does it. What's the harm? That disqualifies
2: him. He should. The harm is his attitude. <sighs> That's what anyway, I would say. Um, I just but, had to launch on that. I'm yeah, sorry. no, by all means. Um, now it goes further. I don't know if you saw the Hill Times today. I didn't see the Hill Times study. No. okay. They did an article uh, regarding this scandal at the the federal level. And it's it, it actually goes into a lot of good insight about the players involved because by no means on these campaigns are the people working them just it's their first time. These people have been around for a long time and right. you can trace their histories. and it's so strange because I mean, all, I mean, it's an allegation, but all uh, kind of evidence is pointing towards it being Bernier's campaign that's involved with the voter fraud, right? The registration fraud. That's and, the allegation, yes. Yeah, that's the allegation. Like I said, it's just, that's what's being suspected. And everybody on his team, I won't say everybody, but the the bulk of his team is made up of uh, people who worked on Patrick Brown's leadership. and That raises some interesting questions, doesn't it? Yeah, and for those that don't know... Um, All of every single one of the memberships that were suspect and and removed, I mean, there is proof that there was registration fraud. There's no proof of who did it. But the members that were proven to have been registered fraudulently, all of them removed from the voter list now, all came directly off the PC Ontario list. And all from one area and all from within one community. And it's a community that rallied very uh, hard to support Brown's leadership. And the same organizers that brought that community to Brown are the ones who brought them to Bernier. And one name in particular, uh, Alex Nuttle, who uh, I don't know if you're familiar with him. No. Okay, he was uh, a city councilor, um, I believe, in Barrie. <laughs> and um, he ran for the PCs in Barrie uh, in 2010. Anyway, he's now Maxime's, I think it's chair of... Did he he not step down to give Patrick Brown... uh... No, 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 that wasn't him. Okay, all right. Yeah, that was, uh, I believe, Garfield Dunlop. Oh, that's right. Okay, yes. So, um, but in any event, so uh, Nuttall is now Maxime Bernier's uh, membership chair. And Nuttall was in his own little scandal back in 2010 when he ran for the PCs. And, of course, it was very similar to what we're seeing now. It It was registrations paid for by someone else. And I was reading, uh, it was this guy named John Spink who had done the report, and he was at the time the PC, uh, like for the party, he was the regional organizer. Right. And he had happened to be at the Riding Association chair, membership chair's head, or house when all the members were coming, or all the candidates, sorry, were coming to drop off their new memberships. He noticed right away that all of the money that, because all of Alex Nuttall's memberships were paid in cash, and which was rare to have that many, the high, like super yeah, high a lot percentage. of people write checks. And they so. were all $10 bills in serial number sequence. So he was suspect, and he ended up questioning. And, and there, there, you should read the report. I'll give it to you to put on your website later. Sure, His sure. report was very telling, and this is going back to 2010. But um, they were all in serial number sequence. But further, they found that most of the signatures on the documents, or a large number, were all by the same person, had signed all the signatures for all these people.
1: So, so the handwriting
2: was all the same. Yeah, the handwriting was all the same. So they, But these are people's signatures. So this goes beyond so I can just, just <laughs> me filling out a form for you. I can see I'm a signing your name. That guy brought, with a little forced. green
1: lamp with yeah. a light bulb in it with a black armor band on, with a white shirt and a green visor, uh, uh, topless hat, uh, ball cap on, and he's sitting there and he's got a stack of paper on one side and a stack of bills on the other. And he signs the name, he takes the bill, he staples it to the page and sets it down. Takes another $10 bill, staples it to the form, signs it, and sets it over there. Yeah. One right after another.
2: Yeah. And so this is basically what's going on. Well, I don't know if it was... Visually as nefarious as the picture you painted, <laughs> but certainly. That's the image I got. In, in, in practical oh, and sense. Oh, in the curl of that cigar smoke, too. Yeah, yeah. You can't forget that. No, of course um, not. But no, there was. Hey, Joey. It's that bad, right? And so, anyway, he, John Spink had done this report and he submitted it, and it was investigated by the party who found absolutely no wrongdoing. Guess who uh, over- oversaw that investigation into Alex Nuttall at that time? Take a guess. <sighs>
1: Ah, uh, let me see. Does his name start with a W?
2: No. I'll give you a hint, though. Okay. He uh, asked a 77-year-old cancer <laughs> survivor. <to laughs> oh, step you gotta be kidding! Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so we might. Have <laughs> so it's so Ken Zeiss oversaw <laughs> <that> investigation, <laughs> and guess what he found? No wrongdoing. No wrongdoing. So anyway, we we've, um,
1: we've investigated ourselves, and there's nothing but, wrong. Yeah, in and found in nothing wrong.
2: Spinks' report, he says that he actually. Uh, questioned it in front of the uh, membership chair at the time that I forget the guy's name but it was Brett something but and he said it's no big deal everyone does it why do we care that's what he said in his report that they they, they said yeah look we can tell that, that that there's something fishy here but who really cares everyone does it and again it's this but this is this group that's been moving through the PC party for you know, The better part of the decade. And this has been their attitude all along. And these same players you got Alex Nuttall, you got Ken Zeiss, you got all the same players from the PC party now ostensibly implicated in this scandal at the federal level for the exact same thing. And it's this culture of accepting this corruption that's allowed them to be there and do that. And I worry about a party, and and we've got a party of great members like the members, the people. You know, it's in the grassroots, yeah. like that. are incredible people, some of the best you could ever meet. And at the top, we've got a lot of people who have taken advantage and cheated and snuck their way in, and now they're they're giving a bad name to the whole system. And I think it's unfair. And I think the membership has to challenge this at this point. I mean, these are all people that were on Brown's campaign too, doing the exact same thing. All right, with that, we have to take a, a break. When we get back,
1: we'll have more with Jay Tysick right after this.
0: So Nick is reloading and taking a much-needed break. Not that he needs one. But maybe it's a good thing. So if you want to fire him off an email, just uh, send it to nick at latenightcouncil.com. That's simple, huh? Nick at latenightcouncil.com. Or better yet, call now. Hey, I know he could talk forever, but you know what? If you're doing talk radio, you love the calls. 343-700-4390. That's 343-700-4390 for the Capital Region. And if you can't get through on that line or you live far, far, far away, like we're talking about Alaska, one 844 562 That's one 844 562 Now, our call service is automated. You won't be talking to a live person until you're live on air. Don't sweat it. Just follow the prompts and while you're on hold, and, and you'll be fine. Nick at night does not exist without advertisers. So if you want to buy time, you contact either myself, JC at latenightcouncil.com. Or you can contact Nick if you're more comfortable with him. And of course I certainly understand that. You can contact Nick at LatenightCouncil.com. The ads are like really, really cheap. I mean you're gonna you're gonna love them. Okay. You're, you're, we've, we've made them quite accessible. Feedback is always welcome. Tell us what you like, tell us what you don't like, and thanks for tuning in. Now, back to Nick at Night.
1: Microphones really work well when you turn them on. Anyway, thanks for staying with us, folks. The numbers are 343-700-4390, 844-562-4766. Yeah, i got to open my beverage here. Anyway, um, Nick at night at <laughs> <laughs> late night. Hard, habits are hard to break. <laughs> Nick at night at late is the email address. And you can also send us messages if you'd like uh, over Facebook. You can send me a an instant message request or an instant message, or you can add to the comments underneath the show posting for tonight. Um, I'm keeping an eye, trying to do my best to keep an eye on pretty much all forms of communication. Okay, we've had, J- if you missed the first half hour, by the way, you missed a lot. Jay Tysick is my guest, and he was the. Um, gentleman who was disqualified from candidacy uh, last, uh, late October, November, uh, while he was trying to become uh, the candidate for the riding of Carlton, Mississippi, or is it just called Carlton? Carlton. Carlton, for the riding of Carlton for the Progressive Conservative Party of of Ontario. And we've been talking politics and uh, getting into some really interesting stuff. Now, what else has this Mr. Zeiss been up to? Because I have a feeling there's more to this story.
2: Well, I mean, he, he's overseeing the nominations for Brown, and uh, we see how that's going, and we know about his past, but I decided uh, the other night, when he made that comment, which I, I was personally offended by when he said, everybody does it, you know, and if the party cared, there's things they could do to fix it. First off, yeah, there is, and why don't we? Why don't we fix it? But the, the thing that really upset me was that complacency, that apathy. He's in a position to uphold a higher standard, and he's going, pah, who cares, And so I I reached out to him directly, and I just challenged him with a a straightforward question. I just said, you're saying that everyone does it. You're in Brown's inner circle. You're a past president of the party. So let me ask you, in Brown's leadership race, did he do it? Which I thought was a straightforward, simple question. And you'd expect the answer to come back, well, no, of course not, right? That's what I was expecting when I wrote the question. Okay. Uh, Oh, sorry. Um, Go ahead. Finish your thought, and then we'll take this call. Sure. Sure. Unless you want to take the call first.
1: All right. Well, let's not keep whoever it is waiting.
2: Now we just, there we go. Hang on.
1: Good evening. Welcome to the Nick at Night Show. Who am I talking to? Hello? Hello? Okay. Well, we're going to return you to the queue. And then we'll try it one more time. Good evening. Welcome to the Nick at Night Show. Who am I talking to? All right, well, that's a shame. Yeah, it is. So we'll just click on that and caller, if you want to uh, if you want to call us back, uh, let me know. We'll uh, get you on the air as soon as we can.
2: So I'll finish uh, my story then. So what ended up happening was I reached out to him directly with that question and I just said, did, if you say it happens in every leadership race, did it happen in Patrick Browns? And he responded, and his response was deflection. He didn't actually address the question. So I, I kind of pressed him again, and then he again tried to deflect, this time with a couple of uh, personal insults, which I couldn't understand. And then he asked me to, to elaborate on what I was saying. I, I was like, it's a pretty straightforward question. And last time I asked, or I elaborated, you insulted me. So here, did Patrick Brown do this? That's all I'm asking. And honestly, I expected, being someone so close to Brown, he'd just say, of course not, Brown. would never do that. But instead, he just said, uh, I wasn't around at that time and wouldn't know. Oh, <laughs> Which
1: absolutely <laughs> the worst answer. All right. Call is called back. Let's oh. try again. Good evening. Welcome to the Nick at Night Show. Who am I talking to? You know, there must be some kind of technical issue going on here. Um, tell you what we're going to do. I'm going to put you back on into the queue. Stay there. Don't go anywhere if you can hear me. And I'm going to take a break, and we'll see if we can get this sorted out because we've got a phone call. We want to take phone calls. That's what this is all about. Okay, so hang on. And we'll do that. We'll play that. And I'll be
3: right back.
0: 17 years I've been taking my cars to Irwin's Motion. 17 years ago, Irwin was renting space on the corner of Bank and Heron. His encyclopedic knowledge of all things mechanical and his no-bull honesty has resulted in his second move. He now operates a huge facility on Cleopatra. Eight bays and an expert staff that operate all in the same wavelength. Honesty, integrity, try to save the customers some money and headaches, but fix it right the first time. Irwin's Automotion, 34, Cleopatra. Tell them council sent you. That'll make him smile.
1: Okay, let's give this another try and see if we can bring that caller on. Oh, he's gone. All right, well, there's some kind of technical genie. Um, well, wait, let's try this again. Okay, let's click on talk. There we are. Good evening, welcome to the Nick at Night Show. Okay, now hang on just a minute. We're going to try a few things here. Good evening, well, just keep talking. Talk right into your phone. No? That's... Hmm. All right. Well, we're going to have to get this sorted out over the break. I apologize to the caller. I don't know what we're doing wrong. We shall figure it out, though, and we'll get... uh, Because the whole point... Okay, go ahead and try and talk again. We're just watching our equipment here. See if we can see anything coming in.
3: Hmm.
0: All
1: right, I'm gonna re- I'm gonna return you to the to the uh, queue caller, and we'll work on this. Okay, he's back in the queue. Uh, all right, hear him at all. and there was yeah there was nothing. Okay, let me go to one more commercial, and we'll work on it. We can't get it sorted out. Well, that's just the way it. We'll have to we'll have to do this. <laughs>
0: Testing, okay, we're ready to go here. I'm going to start the broadcast, and you are live, and just try it again, okay? Ready? Here we go. Okay, as soon as you push, okay. As soon as you push start broadcast, you are live, okay? Okay. Tell we're back on the air, and we're going to try our calls again, and if they don't calls don't work, just do the show without calls, okay? Keep going live, that's my advice. I'll edit all this out when we do the podcast. All right, so here we go. Start broadcast.
1: Got it, Okay. I think we have it figured out, so we're just going to carry on. Uh, (coughs) If the previous caller wants to call us back, we'll see if we've got all the gremlins figured out, and uh, if it works, great. If it not, then we're just going to carry on as if we were normal and do the show without calls. But let's uh, call us back, so let's try it again. Caller, can you hear me? Hello. There, there we are. Who am I talking to? Stephanie. Stephanie, how are you? Welcome to the Naked Night Show.
5: I'm good. I hope everything stays fine and nothing blows up again. Well, <laughs> I think
1: we found where the where the landmine was, and we defused it. And uh, now all we have to worry about is those uh, flying purple people leaders. Hang on, I got to turn <laughs> you. Mm-hmm.
2: Try that again. I I was just saying, I think the show was getting too close to the truth, so the Russians hacked it. Had to be. That explains it all. (laughs) The timing. Yes. Everything.
1: Everything.
5: Everything that, yeah, everything that goes wrong in the world is either Trump's fault. Or the Russians. It's the Russians who did it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, Stephanie, uh, what was it you wanted did you have a question for us, or did you want to um, make a comment?
5: Well, yes. When you hear of just so much um, corruption and, you know, I'm activism-based and I have contact with different politicians and am currently volunteering. And you just have to wonder, does the corruptible get attracted to politics or is it the other way around? Do politics corrupt the person? And... You know, Dr. Jordan Peterson, he is the U, U of, T. of T professor. Yep. Sorry.
1: No, you're right. I'm just con- confirming what you're saying. Go on.
5: Yeah. He, um, he has um, a very profound little phrase, and he says, just tell the truth. So he's a university professor that says uh, he refuses to use all those crazy, made-up um, pronouns. Right. And you know, transgender and the whole social, sh- social justice warrior movement. And, you know, it's not based in science. This is imaginary. And if people, you know, educators, like, would just speak the truth. And I, if I pull that into politics, there are people, just because everyone's doing it, does not justify it. And if people would just tell the truth. Like, some cases, fine. You can say, oh, well, the, the head of the party didn't know what the volunteers were doing or what his team was doing. But you know what? That's not good enough. People really need to grow a backbone, one of my favorite phrases. And, like, even the volunteers, there's people who know these things that are going on and team members of campaigns and people that are there in the offices, and you need to tell the truth. Yes, uh, we can blame and, and vilify all the politicians, but there's also the people around them. And you know what? They, they, they know what's going on. They have the evidence. And I think, like, everyone just needs, y- you got to start telling the truth. People have lost all confidence in all right. our political system. Let's let Jay and jump in
2: here. He's chomping at the bit to, to make a comment.
5: Okay.
2: Well, right. I'd, lo- I'd like to answer your chicken or egg question, and it's, it's a bit of both in the sense that with the recent scandals we've seen and even the past ones, in each of these instances, a lot of good people resign. You know? Um, we had
4: in—did
2: you want to say something? Okay, so but no, even in, in the uh, 2010 one that we were just talking about that involved Alex Nuttall and, uh, you know, um, Ken Zeiss and that, the, the the head of that riding association board resigned in protest. He said over principle, and you've got in GPR, their, like members of their board resigned in protest, and you've got in Carleton, uh, since all that went down, even there members of the board have resigned. So I think where, what you end up with is a few people that are drawn to politics that are corrupt and see it as a way to kind of get power and, and do whatever nefarious deeds they want to do, when they get in there and they start doing these things, as they get found out people do speak up, but usually no one listens, and then they just quit in, in disgust and that leaves only the corrupt there, so it, it, I think over time it just becomes more and more and more corrupt, but you're right, you know, and I think the, the Jordan Peterson thing that you were talking about, I saw him speak and he said um, speak the truth, And good things will happen. Just watch what happens. Don't worry about consequences. Just be honest, be upright, and just watch the world change around you. And I think uh, that's still true. You know, even though we're saying that these people are resigning and nothing's coming, but yet it is coming. I mean, we're all getting fed up. We saw what happened in the States. People were just fed up with the corruption.
1: All right, you two. I'm going to have to interrupt you, uh, Stephanie. Thank you very much for persevering and being that uh, that you, uh, stalwart soldier to get through and help us with these technical issues. Uh, thank you very much for that. I have to get ready. Uh, I want to give Jay a few more minutes before we top out at the top of the hour. Yeah. Thanks.
4: All right. Bye.
1: Okay. <clears throat> now, in the last few moments before we uh, come to the top of the hour. Uh, the question becomes, we, I mean, it's and it's unfortunate we had those issues because I know there was a lot of stuff we wanted to cover that we're not going to get to. But at the same time, people ask all the time, okay, so what can I do? Uh, so let's talk about that and what time we have left. What can people do to help turn the ship around?
2: Well, I think we're, they have to demand investigation for starters. I mean, there's a lot of things that need to be done and it would have been nice to put that to callers too, what they think. but. I think they need to demand an investigation. We, we know that there has been fraud. The question is, who did it and how many were involved and where does it lead? I, I believe it'll likely, because of the players involved, it'll lead right back to the province, you know, and, and right back to Barry. Funnily enough, I think Barrie is becoming... you the city, not the person. Yeah, Barry, Barrie, Ontario, yes, right? Okay. Uh, it, I think it's going to lead right back to that city, and it's quickly becoming that Barrie is the Chicago of Canadian politics, you know? Like, <laughs> but... Um,
1: not exactly the most glorious name. We have it? to
2: start by demanding an investigation, and it be thorough and cooperated with. I think the, the party needs to be the one demanding it. And after that... I I think we have to start demanding resignations and and reviews of leaders who are involved. And if that means Patrick Brown, I think with all we've seen with him, a leadership review would be a good start. But people need to demand it. We need to write letters. We need to tell them that we're frustrated. We need to refuse to uh, support them unless they start making the changes internally. That's what I think we have to do.
1: All right. Well, listen, Jay, we are flat out of time. And I really wish that things had gone a little smoother, but we'll have you back again soon. And we'll get a chance to fill in those gaps. Well,
2: it's great talking Thank to you them. very Thank you.
1: much. Folks, we'll take a break when we come back. I have a feeling my next guest will be ready to go by then. And uh, we'll talk about a little bit more international politics with the attack in London and the situation in Europe from a political point of view and Brexit. And uh, Dutch. I, I want to say, how do you find a word that Britain exit, Holland exit, Lexit, Frexit? <laughs> Dutch off. (laughs) I'm not touching that with a 10-foot pole. All right. We'll be right back with more.
0: So Nick is reloading and taking a much-needed break. Not that he needs one, but maybe it's a good thing. So if you want to fire him off an email, just uh, send it to nick at Council.com. That's simple, huh? Nick at Council.com. Or better yet, call now. Hey, I know he could talk forever, but you know what? If you're doing talk radio, you love the calls. 343-700-4390. That's 343-743-90 for the Capital Region. And if you can't get through on that line or you live far, far, far away, like we're talking about Alaska, 1-844-562-4766. That's one 562 4766 Now, our call service is automated. You won't be talking to a live person until you're live on air. Don't sweat it. Just follow the prompts and while you're on hold and, and you'll be fine
1: Thanks for, thanks for staying with us, folks. Uh, just let me do this. There we are. Vlad, can you hear me?
4: I sure can. How are you doing, Nick?
1: Oh, I am ecstatic to have you on this show. And uh, it's been a challenging evening from a technical point of view, but we got through it. That's the main thing. Glad to have you with us. Um,
4: well, it's always good to talk to you, Nick.
1: Can you let me see if I could turn you up a little bit? Because you're a little soft. Try speaking directly into your phone. How? Huh? Okay, I think that sounds a little better. Okay, good. There, yeah, now we can hear you just fine. All right, uh, for those who don't know, my guest is Vlad from vladtepisblog.com. Uh, Vlad it's one of the uh, best blogs I know of um, <coughs> for information on the international world stage, as far as uh, radical Islam is concerned, as far as... European politics, global world affairs, I guess, and is very widely read and highly respected. So it's a pleasure and an honor to have him on the show tonight. Um, Let's start, uh, Vlad, with uh, talking about uh, what's on everybody's mind, of course, the attack in London today. Uh, Can you kind of give us a breakdown of what happened?
4: Well, yeah, uh, a a highly religious Muslim um, got in a car, ran over a bunch of people on Westminster Bridge, And then ran to parliament where he stabbed people, killing one police officer, and was eventually shot to death. There is some argument about who the person was that he killed. The name was released as Abu Azadeen initially. He did kind of look like Abu Azadeen, although his Abu Azadeen's lawyer claims that as Abu Abu Azadeen is still in jail for (laughs) related terrorism charges, that in fact rumors of his death are
1: highly exaggerated.
4: Attack are slightly exaggerated, yeah. But, uh, but in any case, it, it, in a sense, it doesn't matter. The motivation the ideology is the same. It's not a mentally ill person. It's not, uh, uh, you know, whatever. It's not somebody who didn't have a good job and whatever whatever the reasons are that they, the leftist establishment make to cover for this. This was an Islamic terror attack. It was an act of jihad where the person intended to and successfully managed to die in his jihad attack after taking a bunch of infidel lives. Uh, in order to continue to push Western countries deeper and deeper into uh, more and more Islamification of our systems, our dietary rules, um, the selective enforcement of our laws in favour of Islam and uh, against blasphemy and so on and so on, of course, of Islam only. I mean, it's it's actually pretty common. There is an update, though. Let me just quickly scooch over and have a look. Uh, armed police rushed to Birmingham address in connection to London terror attack this is from the Express. It's pretty good. Express.co.uk. Armed police have swarmed a road in Birmingham after unconfirmed reports claim the car used in a deadly Westminster attack was hired from an address on the road. That sounds like a desperate stretch to me, but maybe there's something there. I don't know.
1: Well, time um, will tell. At
4: least the news is looking at every link. That's good. But, you know, in, in all fairness, really, this is, you know, as long as we look at this as a law and order issue, We don't have a chance. We will lose, and we are losing. We're losing at breakneck speed. Uh, If we look at it as a war, we fight back, we'll win overnight. We'll win by breakfast. But as long as it's law and order, we will slowly lose.
1: Are you noticing, because I'm beginning to sense, and you watch this much more closely than I do, so you'll have a better read on it, but I'm beginning to sense that the mainstream news organizations are running out of ways to explain this away as anything other than the way that you described it. Do you get that sense?
4: No, I think that in in some cases they don't. They're not given a choice because too much media gets out ahead of where they can control the narrative. So when pictures like today, they hadn't released the name. They hadn't released anything about it. But pictures escaped of this guy, and he was clearly um, of either southern Asian or Middle Eastern descent, and he had the the long beard and shaved mustache and general look of a religious Muslim, and there's just no escaping it, right? Mm-hmm. They weren't, like, when they could, they didn't get a chance to, they just thing that they do called pink painting, right? And and they do that, I've, I've seen countless examples of it out of Europe, it's, Scandinavia is the worst of it, and now what they'll do is, when a Muslim or a migrant from North Africa, the Maghreb or the Middle East, commits some horrible crime, they'll, they'll try to control letting out the name, or they will they, they will if, if, a pic, if, there's, if they have to release a picture, they'll actually photoshop it until the guy looks like a white guy. Or the, the most common thing is when you read a story about an arrest, they'll show a picture of a white guy from behind with short sleeves and his cuffs, his, his wrists are in police handcuffs behind him. and it'll say stock photo or file photo, right? Because it, like the narrative is we mustn't let the information out to the public. How much of this kind of crime is from Islamic migrants? Right? It's just part of the narrative that we can't let that in. And I think they're still doing that to an enormous degree. There's so much crime that's either not even being reported at all. I've got look, I've got all kinds of emails from people that are quite reliable and people who I trust from within Canada talking about recent migrants that Trudeau brought in and horrific crimes ranging from rape to you know, to, to gang rapes. And that some of them are just, they're, they're not being reported and being told if, if certain officials report it, they'll lose their jobs. And I can't even be that specific about it because I don't want to get you in trouble, right? So I'm just going to say that I have these emails. That's that's safe and it's legal to say that. Emails have come to me saying that people have been threatened that if they tell the truth about certain activities that they're, they're familiar with through their professional lives, whether it's medical or law or enforcement, that they will never work in those fields again in Canada. That's... But, you know, then there's the thing about these cab drivers that were uh, have been convicted of rape, and they try not to let the names of the photos out, but eventually they do. Usually by the time they let the names out, the initial anger has passed, and so the impact isn't as high. So all of these stories are being carefully managed. The story of the—I think the, the most interesting one is the story about the cabbie. I think it's in—was it in Winnipeg, or, or was it in—, uh, in Oh, the, I know uh, that story, too. Uh, I forget where it in was. Halifax.
1: It might have been out easy. Either East.
4: Halifax or Winnipeg.
1: Anyway. Uh, anyway, yeah. So
4: we got this. We have this. We have this Muslim cabbie who had a prior uh, arrest or conviction, <coughs> excuse me, for um, sexual assault, and <coughs> there's some girl in his cab. She's been in the cab all of ten minutes when he's found, as she's. I mean, I don't want to go through the lurid details because right. it's, it's, you know, it's disgusting. But the DNA evidence and the general state of the woman. When the, when they found her in her state of undress and in you know a sloppy kind of undress clearly not done by her you know and right. it was it was so obvious that and then suddenly the judge decides oh wait a minute a drunk woman can consent now he said what wait, that, wait 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 hold it
1: he did he say a drunk woman can can consent
4: yeah and I mean look to be honest with you I mean to be perfectly fair if 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 being drunk meant that you could not consent to sex, then we'd have to hire about 35 million Americans to keep all of us Canadians in jail, right? <laughs> but, right, because it's just you know, without alcohol, I don't think we'd reproduce at all. But, but the fact is that the way the law has been for many, like a couple of decades, and I can send you a CBC link on this. The way the law has been for a couple of decades here in Canada is that if a woman goes out to a bar and this is not an exaggeration this is just an extreme example but it totally fits within the law if a, if a woman goes, takes herself to a bar buys herself a bunch of drinks for the, and for the purpose of getting drunk and picking up a guy meets a guy when she's drunk invites him back to her place and then initiates all kinds of uh, sexual activity and in the morning if she regrets that she has done this because she was inebriated that man is de facto guilty of rape according to Canadian law now that's a bad law and I don't agree with that law, right? Right. But if that's the law, why suddenly doesn't it count when it's a recent Muslim migrant driving a cab taking advantage of a drunk fare who was so drunk that she can't even remember the event, suddenly, well, I guess, you know, how can you say she didn't give consent then? It was a complete reversal of existing Canadian law. Now, this is the kind of thing you see in England all the time, where, uh, you know, if a Muslim and a non-Muslim are... are, are are tried for the same exact crime under the same circumstances, the, non, the Muslim seems to get away with it. And, and I don't think that that's a recipe for a peaceful country. But it does sound an awful lot like the slow implementation of Sharia. All right. So, uh, that brings us to, to M103, right? Oh, well, that so was yeah, where I
1: was going to go next, yeah.
4: Yeah. So now we've got Trudeau. Who's trying to get a bill? I don't know. Was it voted on today? or, or is he, Well, the motion was debated, and they,
1: they voted on the motion. And? Oh, it, 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 it of course, the, the government, with a majority, made sure that it was passed. So it's not but it's law, but it's going it to passed. committee to be studied.
4: But the motion was passed? Yes. Okay, so 85% of Canadians are against this motion. The motion is obscene on the face of it because it's actually written... So that specifically only one group is getting is, is protected from some undefined, uh, unspecified mental illness called Islamophobia. Crim- I mean, if you if you wanted to be clever about it, you could say that the government's just criminalized an actual mental disorder, Islamophobia. Right? Like, imagine if you if you if you criminalized claustrophobia. In <laughs> fact, Trudeau used the word xenophobia the other day, which which is a genuine. It's in the, the psychiatric diagnostic compendium, right? Yeah. Like, he used the word xenophobia as a pejorative just the other day. But, I mean, like, I guess, the, I guess if we were to bring that sort of thing up, the response would be, well, we all know what we mean. Well, no, we don't. I mean, would it be nasophobic or is it, is it Republican-phobic for the people who hate Trump? I mean, my goodness. The number of conversations I've gotten with people talking about Donald Trump, and then they become irrationally angry and start uh, spewing pejoratives and foaming at the mouth. And, and, and just insulting and swearing because they hate him so much. I mean, frankly, I think that's legal, and I think that's okay. I don't agree with them. I think they're wrong, but it's certainly within their rights to believe that and to think that, And you know? I mean, sometimes I think that politics is discussed like, like listening to a Mets fan argue with a, a Red Sox fan, but <laughs> it doesn't matter. I mean, that's, that's, the, that's actually the nature of liberal democracy, that we get to do that.
0: All right, as James. As long
4: as you aren't like, threatening. Yes, sir finish your thought Well, I mean the point is that Trudeau used islamophobia and xenophobia as a pejorative and he's passed a bill saying that that specifically Islamophobia has to be whatever it is guarded against I don't know stopped. wiped out yeah. but the point is that but but whatever it is, it, he didn't even define what that is but it sure sounds like Islam is enjoying a special position. Now there was a there's a UN resolution called resolution 1618 okay? U.N. Resolution 1618 is the Organization of Islamic Cooperation, which is the largest supranational uh, organization in the world after the U.N. So you have the U.N., which is, what, 175 countries, whatever it is, right? Right. And then within that, you've got the Organization of Islamic Cooperation, or OIC, which is 57 countries, and they vote as a bloc. And therefore, set the U.N. agenda. It is the tail wagging the dog, right? Now, the OIC introduced a resolution some years ago called Resolution 1618, which the the wording of it's been somewhat watered down over the last couple of years, but it's still there, and it passed. And 1618 was asking all member states, that's every country in the world, to pass their own laws criminalizing criticism of Islam, Islamophobia, as they call it, okay, asking us all to criminalize it. And Hillary Clinton signed off on that. What she said when she signed it is that our First Amendment makes it difficult, America's First Amendment guaranteeing freedom of speech and no favoritism in religion makes it difficult for them to actually criminalize criticism of Islam. But she said our government can use ridicule and humiliation and ostracism uh, through the media as a way of achieving the same end. That's what Clinton said. And then shortly after that, they went after Pastor Jones in exactly that manner. Okay, Now, it's it can be pretty fairly demonstrated at this point that Trudeau was elected by the Muslim voted Canada because uh, I mean, even in Ottawa Metro published a set of stats showing that the Muslim community voted at over 80% for the first time in their history in Canada. Before that, the highest number had been not even 30% of the Muslims who had ever even voted at all. And suddenly this election, they were over 80% and they voted for Trudeau. Now, how did that get mobilized? Well, there was an interesting interview with Trudeau's own press secretary, where he said the only meeting he wasn't allowed to go to, the only event that Trudeau went to in which this guy wasn't allowed in, was some mosque out west where he met to, with a lot of international and and uh, Canadian Muslim leaders and dignitaries. And that meeting, Trudeau went in by himself. Next thing you know, the votes out for him. Okay? All right. So I- what I'm saying is that Trudeau, I think, has an has an has a, a debt. To pay to the international Muslim community for getting them elected. And this motion, which will become a bill and therefore a law, is part of that debt.
1: All right, without finishing I- my thought. Okay, I'm going to hold you there because I, w- I have to take a break. But when I come back, uh, there's still plenty of meat on this turkey, so we're going to keep plucking away until we get to the bottom of it. Hang on, <clears throat> James, stay right there. And for you folks listening, please stick around. We've got plenty more with uh, Vlad Tepes from f- with Vlad from VladTepes.com. We'll be right back. <coughs>
3: general manager and ceo of the greater ottawa truckers association the voice of independent truckers in the ottawa area and proud supporters of nick at night every day we go to work to help build a better eastern ontario and safety is our top priority every start of the shift our drivers perform inspections on their truck so we ensure that our drivers go home to their families each night and you the public have confidence that the big truck beside you is safe If you have any issues relating to any size truck, I encourage you to contact me at 613-738-1639. Let's build a better, fatality-free Ottawa together.
1: All right. We have Vlad from VladTepasBlog.com. He is my guest this evening for the next little while. And we are discussing, um, <coughs> well, we were just talking about Bill, uh, Bill Motion M-103. Now, Vlad, are you up to speed on the uh, provincial version of that?
4: Okay. So I'm not sure of a provincial version of, uh, of uh, uh, M-103. I know that Quebec tried to do that. I think it was Bill 59. And it was actually written by a guy named Jacques Fremont, F-R-E-M-O-N-T. Now Jacques Fremont, who had actually been the CEO of a company which was a George Soros-sponsored and finance company, uh, he was also the head of the Quebec Human Rights Commission, right? So we're talking about a guy who has very strong, far leftist roots and had his fingers in the kind of machinery used to suppress freedom of speech and, 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 and force a leftist narrative, right? So... Uh, Jacques Fremont had, had worked at a bill in Quebec called, I think it was Bill 59, where he was, um, uh, it, it would be criminalizing criticism of Islam, and I think it, it initially it was written so your first fine would be something like 10000 and it would go up to $50,000 pretty quickly, and it was retroactive. So in other words, if they passed the bill today and you wrote something bad about Islam on your private Facebook page last year, they could go back and fine you for what you wrote last year, okay? Um, there was one woman who was a member of the Quebec Parliament. Her name, is me at the moment, but she was just, just this miracle worker. As, a, as it happened, she was a member of the Bloc Québécois in, in Quebec, or the, the Separatist Party, if they're still called that. Uh, and, but it, that had nothing to do with this. It's just this one particular woman was incensed at this bill and fought it and fought it. And first she had the, um, the retroactive nature of it removed and then slowly but surely bit by bit, she ch- chipped away at it until the thing became toothless and they just dropped the whole thing. But it was very close to passing and it would have been Canada's first blasphemy bill would have happened in Quebec. Now, then Jacques Fremont moved to, uh, he's now the um, head of Ottawa U. He's taken over from Alan Rock, who's another left-wing idea. Rock.
1: Oh, really?
4: Uh, Alan Rock, yes, Alan Rock used to uh, at one point uh, would almost turn Canada into a police state when he was going to pass a gun bill that would allow police to do a no-knock warrant on any household, on on and the on any suspicion, didn't have to be reasonable grounds that there was a gun part or ammunition in a home would give them rights to a no knock warrant, and uh, that was passed by as Parliament, and then what happened was the, the Senate actually, just filibustered it until it went away until they dropped it, okay, so Jack Lamont, or sorry, uh, um, uh, Alan Rock went on to become president of Ottawa U, who's being replaced by Jack Lamont. So it's just I find it interesting that all these totalitarians who believe in a massively powerful state and the people should be disarmed and unable. I mean, it's like the opposite. It's like the anti-First and Second Amendment, these guys. Right. Right. So, um, yeah. So as for Ontario, the only thing I know, and this is from talking to numerous people and probably some of the same people you know and some other people, is that the Ontario Conservative Party and I say this with a very heavy heart, having been a lifelong Conservative and coming from a family of generations of Conservatives, the only party not to vote for is the Conservatives in Ontario in the upcoming by-election. I personally, if anybody cares what I like or don't like, it, it, I happen to think the Freedom Party are amazing. And if you look at their website, and it's, it's a, let's call it a very sophisticated and intelligent uh, semi-libertarian party. And these guys... If you read their views and beliefs and, and their articles and their archives, these guys have it all nailed. I haven't found a flaw with it yet. They're, they're great. I even called them up and spoke with one of their principal people for like two hours because I was just so amazed at how aware they were of things and, and, and that the, they have solutions that are practical and workable. Like these aren't fanatics. These are just guys who really have it together. So, but, you know, whoever you want to... If you don't feel that voting for a a small party that you don't know, uh, if that makes you uncomfortable, then even vote Liberal. And I say that that's with some difficulty also, because I'm sure those people who listen to Nick know how awful the Liberal Party is in terms of economics and various... They're corrupt, and I could go on and on. But but the Conservatives have become so penetrated by a coalition... I think they're now being called CETA. I'll have to look up exactly what that stands for again, but it's essentially the coalition of uh, Islamists and Marxists uh, or cultural Marxists that, ha- that we're seeing everywhere. If you want to see a great example, look for the videos of uh, Sandra Solomon on Parliament Hill yesterday. Now, Sandra, who is an ex-Muslim born in Gaza, but raised in Saudi Arabia, moved to Canada to get away from Sharia law. And she is uh, she's a car with a, two gas pedals and no brake. She just doesn't stop warning Canadians about the dangers of Islam, increased Islamic uh, um, influence, and what it's going to mean to basic Canadian laws, the Canadian standard of living. And, uh, you know, she's out there on Parliament Hill. We're talking about a woman who endured a forced marriage, which means years of being raped, because she was forced to be married to somebody. And in Saudi Arabia, you can't even leave the house without your owner, which would be a father, brother, or husband going with you. But you're, as a woman in Saudi Arabia, you're essentially a slave Uh, and she lived like that for years in Saudi Arabia and she's standing up there on Parliament Hill and she's testifying about her own life and the slavery that she endured and we have these people carrying communist flags they call themselves Antifa which has to be I mean it would be funny if it wasn't so serious right they call themselves anti-fascists but they're actually carrying Soviet iconography wearing masks Screaming about punching Nazis and calling this woman a Nazi and a racist. I mean, she's an Arab Muslim who, w- who was a victim of Sharia, and she's a Nazi and a racist. And those are Trudeau's allies. The allies for pushing M103. It's not the 85% of Canadians who were polled that said, we don't want this. It's people like these Antifa thugs like, <laughs> who were calling this little woman who was a slave in Saudi Arabia, forced marriage, a victim of, of, of un, intolerable conditions by most Canadians' imaginations. And these leftists, these thugs, these, these communists are calling her a Nazi and a racist. I Unbelievable. Want
1: to, I want to take you down the highway a little bit uh, towards Quebec City and to that tragic shooting in Quebec. Uh, And give me your take on that. There's something, and I don't know what it is, but there's something about that whole thing that smells rotten. The perpetrator... I can tell you
4: exactly what it
1: is. Okay, well, let me tell you first what I think, and then you can tell me whether I'm right or wrong. First of all, we're presented with the perpetrator, the alleged shooter. First, there was uh, supposed to be two or three of them. Then there was two. Then there was one and one giving first aid. So the story changed over time. Then he surrenders with his weapon, sitting on a bridge. And who is it? It's this meek and mild-looking little white francophone guy who, up until then, his biggest concern in life was clean water. And everybody said he was a Trump supporter and he liked the, he was a hardcore right-winger, but he liked Jack Layton as much as he liked Donald Trump. So he doesn't really exactly fit the profile. Now, I'm not saying he didn't do it, I'm saying there's something going on here that we are just being kept in the dark about. I don't think the narrative works. I don't think the 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 way like when you look at the attack in London, okay, it follows a pattern. If you look at what happened in Fr- in France previously, they used a vehicle and mowed down a whole bunch of people and then got out and started attacking people. That's exactly what happened in your, in in London. There's a pattern there. They use the same tactics. So when you switch over. Uh, to the Quebec shooting, and uh, you have a whole bunch of pieces that don't fit. What, what, what am I missing? What's well, the key?
4: Well, first of all, the pieces do fit, but they just don't, they don't necessarily fit what we're being told they're supposed to fit. First of all, we haven't seen, I mean, I haven't really followed as closely as I should have. You can only, I mean, my, my tendency is to follow Europe, and my reason is because I feel that Canadians, uh, if they have an opportunity to read tomorrow's newspaper today, are if they do not and so I've made it my life's work for a decade now to make European news available in English to Canadians so that they can see tomorrow's newspaper because that's what Europe is although you know Trudeau is speeding things up to the point where tomorrow's newspaper is more like eight hours I but it's still a look into the future so what we can say about this guy is uh, now again I, I I would totally be delighted to be corrected cause this is there may be information about this that I'm unaware of. But as far as I know, after that guy was arrested by the police, no one's heard a word from him. As far as I know, all of the bodies of the victims were shipped overseas to be buried in their real home countries, uh, and no one saw those bodies. I find, and, and the witness reports are flatly contradicted by the facts as presented by Canadian authorities, which said multiple shooters yelling a lot of now, that particular mosque was also having a feud with another mosque. So I see a whole bunch of other things that fit better than what we're told. What I do know is that happened at the beginning of the resistance against M103. And then the next thing that happened was a small group of women called the Suffragettes for, Against Sharia, I think, Suffragettes Against Sharia, in Toronto, did a small protest again with Sandra Solomon across from a mosque, Called the Toronto Masjid. This is, you know, a few weeks after the shooting, okay, or a couple of weeks ago, anyway. Um, and th- this group called Suffragettes Against Sharia with Sandra, they went across the street from the Toronto Masjid, and they were doing a protest. Now, all the media showed up for that protest. There was uh, it was in the CTV and CBC and Globe and Mail. Everybody covered it. Let me tell you what they didn't cover. You couldn't read the signs that any of the protesters had. They were all blurred out. It's like nobody had a decent camera in the in the media, which gets 1.3 billion dollars a year, 1.2 billion a year, right? None of them had a decent camera, and there was no interviews with Sandra, who is the ex-Saudi apostate that I mentioned.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: All there was was statements from the Muslims in the area and the Muslims in the mosque talking about how bad they felt because these people were protesting across the street, and it's Islamophobia, and the police launched guess it, you can guess it, the police launched a hate uh, a hate crime tr- investigation against these women because they were protesting Sharia across from this mosque, okay? So what the, these women did, in the police's eyes, was, was worthy of being investigated as a hate crime. Well, what happened? But two days later, a whole bunch of videos appeared of the imams and the top uh, members of the congregation of that Toronto masjid saying things like, we must kill all the Jews one by one until they're all dead and the kafirs must be beaten and it just it, women must be subjected like they all the standard stuff you hear in the Quran. but these videos suddenly appeared a couple of days later courtesy of CIJ News which is one of the <laughs> it's an extraordinary site for those who aren't aware of it it's CIJ that's Charlie India Juliet um, news.ca I think or .com and uh these, these videos appeared showing what these Imams in this exact mosque actually preached to their congregation, okay? And suddenly, the police dropped the hate crimes charge against these women. Suddenly, the investiga- they weren't charged, but the investigation was dropped once these videos hit about 100,000 views each. So how does this all connect? Well, it's also interesting that hate speech charges were not brought against the imam and the people who were in these videos okay so this is I find this to be interesting to the point where it makes my jaw lock up with anger because we had women that were objecting to the kinds of things being said at this mosque under investigation for a hate crime and when it was discovered that what they were objecting to was a true according to the letter and spirit of the hate literature law act and the hate crimes oh. laws and all the other not, none of this stuff should exist anyway, but such as, such as it is, when it became to the public's attention that what they did was actually within the law and what they, what's going on in the mosque was highly, inexcusably, <laughs> unambiguously against the law, <laughs> then suddenly the charges were dropped but not raised against this imam, which means we are operating on a very new kind of legal system where the laws are only used against those who are objecting the increased influence of the far left, the radical, violent, extremist left, and Islam. But so when the when the law does apply against these guys, it's simply not. When it when it does fit, it is not applied.
1: Well, it's but funny if, how
4: if, if, if it, we have this
1: ahead. we have this double standard. It appears between in Canadian law. and We've been warning about this. And when I say we, I'm talking about a lot of voices on the right have been warning people about this. Uh, kind of like a collective Churchill uh, ringing the alarm bell about Nazi Germany in the 30s. There have been a lot of people in Canada and in, in the Western world, uh, Geert Rilders being one and, and uh, you know, a lot of other people just warning us over and over and over again about the kind of pitfall that, that uh, we're headed for if we don't uh, actually stand up and take our countries back. And I know that's a corny, worn-out cliché, but the reason it is is because there's a lot of truth in it. Um, I want to switch gears a little bit. First, I have to take a break. But when we get back, I want to switch back over to Europe because there's a lot going on in the Carpathian Valley that I think we need to talk about. That's in Hungary and Czechoslovakia and places like that. Uh, we'll talk about... Uh, grad 4. Yeah, exactly. So we'll talk about that. So if I can get you to hang on, uh, we'll take a quick little break here and we'll come back with more with Vlad right after this. <laughs>
0: So Nick is reloading and taking a much-needed break. Not that he needs one, but maybe it's a good thing. So if you want to fire him off an email, just uh, send it to nick at latenightcouncil.com. That's simple, huh? Nick at latenightcouncil.com. Or better yet, call now. Hey, I know he could talk forever, but you know what? If you're doing talk radio, you love the calls. 343-700-4390. That's 343 700 4390 for the capital region. And if you can't get through on that line or you live far, far, far away, like we're talking about Alaska, 1 844 562 4766. That's 1 562 4766. Now, our call service is automated. You won't be talking to a live person until you're live on air. Don't sweat it. Just follow the prompts and while you're on hold, and, and you'll be fine. Late at night does not exist without advertisers. So if you want to buy time, you contact either myself, JC at latenightcouncil.com. Or you can contact Nick if you're more comfortable with him, and of course I certainly understand that. You can contact Nick at LateNightCouncil.com. The ads are like really, really cheap. I mean you're gonna you're gonna love them. Okay, we we've, we've made them quite accessible feedback is always welcome tell us what you like tell us what you don't like and thanks for tuning in now back to nick at night
1: All right, the numbers, by the way, I haven't given them out in a while. I should. If you have any questions for Vlad or if you have any comments you want to make, you can join us at 343-700-4390. 343-700-4390. Long distance is 844-562-4766. You can drop me an email at nick at nickatlatenightcouncil.com, and you can even pass along a message on Facebook if you'd like. You can always send me a friendship request. I'll make you a member of Nick's Knights with all the perks and benefits thereof. James, uh, Vlad, thanks for staying with us. I appreciate it. Uh, let's switch over to uh, Europe. Uh, let's talk first about the election in Holland because I know a lot of people were disappointed that Mr. Wilders didn't do better in the election. We were hoping for a Nigel Farage kind of moment, when he was uh, when he would win the day and and take the crown, that kind of thing. Uh, tell us what what the fallout is of the results in the election in Holland.
4: Well, I, I think, you know, if you look at the CBC, it was a disaster for him and crushing how disappointed the far right wing racist xenophobe Gear Wilder is first of all, I just gotta let me say there's this guy who wrote this book called Rules for Radicals. His name is Saul Linsky. And Saul Linsky was a communist of I mean he was I mean, he was a psychopath communist. It wasn't like he was trying to build a better world. He believed in communism not because he felt it was good because he knew it was evil. Okay, I mean th- that the the dedication to his book Rules for Radicals is literally to Satan, because uh, he said it's better to rule in heaven, a uh, rule in hell than serve in heaven. Um, I take great, <laughs> I take great <laughs> objection to that. But in any case, that is who Saulinsky is. Now Saulinsky said in his book, I believe it was in Rules for Radicals, if you control the language, you control the masses, and there's a great deal of evidence that for a while, that works. And then, you know, I, I kind of have to go back to Abe Lincoln after that and say you can fool all of the people some of the time and some of the people all the time, but you can't fool all of the people all of the time. Now, the CBC and all of the, the the legacy media, the corporate media, actually, as a friend of mine calls them, uh, they call Geert Wilders a far-right-wing radical extremist. If you go back and listen to everything he said, he's not just a classical liberal in, in, a, in the sense of Thomas Jefferson, but... Like 1950s, rednecks would have called him a commie pinko fag because Geert Wilders' entire um, platform is that Jews and gay people and all of the usual kind of minority groups that live in the Western world peaceably enough uh, should be able to continue to do so without fear of being beaten up by Muslims. And in fact, it's become uh, Holland, the Netherlands, has become so hostile to both gay people and to. uh, to, to find out what it's like to be gay in the Netherlands, uh, read a book by Bruce Bauer, who is absolutely one of the first and bravest voices in the world on the on the effects of Islam to liberal society. Bruce Bauer wrote a book called uh, While Europe Slept. So I just want to say, this book is not a new book, and I think that people should still get it and should still read it because you're looking at somebody who talked over, what, 10, 15 years ago at, about how he was, like... You know, he talks in his book about how now, again, people would argue with him about gay marriage in the United States. And so he thought, I'm just going to move to Europe where they're so cool. And that's when he started really getting the, the, the tar beat out of him by roving gangs of Muslims who feel that homosexuals should die. Now, uh, we, have, we have Geert Wilders is saying, well, look, this is unacceptable. And now in the Netherlands, they actually have police dressing up as Jewish people, as religious Jews. Uh, to catch, like they'll, they'll have hidden cops and these guys will walk down the street, and they will be catching Muslims who will attack them. I mean, it's it's like it's like putting peanuts out for squirrels. It's, that's how easy it is now, and how bad uh, violent anti-Semitism and violent anti-homosexual sentiments are in the Netherlands. And Geert Wilders is against that. And for that, p- organizations like the CBC, who disgustingly refuse to report facts that go against their narrative, and instead in use Saul like hijacking of the language to refer to them in ways which they're hoping people will identify with the nazis now the nazis of course would put homosexuals in death camps and then kill them and the muslims skip the death camp part and just go to the killing and unless it's a small child and then of course it's okay but if if it's two adult consenting males in islam that's a death penalty offense so i would say the closer in terms of in terms of being gay The proper association would be Nazism and Islam, as it in fact was in World War II. So Geert Wilders, in fact, if you listen to the reporting on the election, it was a crushing disappointment for the far right wing. Here's how it really was. The the classical liberal Geert Wilders, who basically quotes Thomas Jefferson and Ronald Reagan, uh, chapter for chapter and verse for verse, uh, he was having a big party for the fact that he gained... 33% of his seats and he's the second biggest party in the Netherlands. So we're talking about a one issue guy who is fairly new in politics and his party is fairly new who went from I think 15 to 20 seats. So a 33% gain and he is absolutely thrilled and I'd like to say that I personally don't have any evidence for this just from my observations. I get the feeling that organizations like George Soros backed And there's a couple of other billionaires, by the way, who are Muslim billionaires, who've been subverting and co-opting and infiltrating different political parties across the Western world, specifically the Democrats in the United States. I can give you that name. it would take me a minute to pick it up. Uh, And specifically the Labour Party in the UK. So if you're wondering why both parties have suddenly become far left and very anti-Semitic and very Islamophilic, it's because of this one particular Iraqi billionaire who made his money in oil and weapons, uh, being a uh, weapons merchant. So... Uh, Geert did extremely well, and I think that the election was tilted against him, which is why I was reading with all that. I think that, like they d- I think that, like the European Union itself, which is a, a totalitarian body, it's just the Soviet Union West. Um, I think that the election was probably rigged against Geert, and he still picked up 33% more of the seats. Now, they have the proportional representation, and here's why it's good that we don't have it. Uh, Geert picked up 32% more seats. He's the second biggest party in the Netherlands, but he will still be frozen out of the new government because the rest of them are all far left-wing extremists. And so they're just simply not going to include him. But that is going to make a lot of Dutch people very angry, and they're probably going to get the result they deserve. So that's the Netherlands.
1: So so looking ahead at the next election cycle in Holland, uh, this may be the last gasp of those of uh, the people who want to ignore... The, these are uh, the aristocracy just before the French Revolution. You know, they're they're ignoring the pleas of the peasants, and now they're going to pay for it, even though they might have won this little victory now. They've actually signed their own death warrant.
4: Well, that could be. I mean, I'm going to say there's, a, there's some ambiguity in terms of what the immediate future for the Netherlands holds, because if these politicians are smart, and if they do what politicians have done throughout, uh, recent history of Western civilization, they'll do one of two things. They'll include Geert's party in the government. Well, I don't think they're going to do that. I really, I would bet pretty much everything against it. Or more likely, they will pay lip service to some of Geert's policies as a kind of safety valve to blow off some of that excess steam, which is what uh, a particular French politician did. Uh, his name will come to me. Was it Couillard? Might have been. But there's a French politician that suddenly started talking about the same way Marine Le Pen did and was scooping up all these votes. But then if you, if you had a brief look at his history until very recently, he was a far left-wing extremist, no different than Hollande, but basically a communist and uh, an open an open borders, mass immigration kind of guy. And suddenly he started making this noise to try to steal the funding from Marine Le Pen, but probably didn't mean it. And then he got caught. Uh, pilfering government money to give his girlfriend an overpaid job for which he didn't do anything. So he's kind of dropped out of the race. Green's looking pretty good right now. But it's possible that these other parties in the Netherlands will either start applying enough of Geert's ideas and policies to keep the population from having a revolution, or they'll just pay lip service to it and not do any of these things, which is exactly what Merkel is doing. By the way, since we're on the subject, I would like to just float this out there. I'd like to introduce a new term. Uh, you know there's a, a reporter, uh, you didn't call him that, he's really an information synthesizer by the, the name of uh, Robert Fisk, and he hates Israel, and he pretends to be a Middle Eastern expert, and whenever the CDC is doing a report in the Middle East where they want Israel to look like the bad guy, they call up Robert Fisk, and he goes on TV and he makes up some stuff, and his stuff is so ludicrously fictional that there was a term in the English language called Fisking, F-I-S-K, that you fisk your fisk if you hear a report, you fisk it to make sure it's real because Robert's material is so ludicrous that in fact it must be thoroughly checked, right? And I would like to introduce a, a new term like that calling Merkel. Merkle in your house, don't merkle your car, <laughs> don't merkle your country. If you <laughs> leave your if you leave your home unlocked <laughs> so that any bunch of people can walk in and just take all your stuff and ruin it and trash your place, you are you've left it merkeled. So I'd like to just drift this term out there we need to start when somebody recklessly or deliberately or just through reckless irresponsibility leaves their property in a way whether it's their family or their home or their vehicle in a way that can be abused by people who have bad intentions then you've left your car murkled or you've murkled your car let's get that out there I mean, all that right ha- that has to get into common use. all right so that's that that covers germany france Covered a bit, covered. You, you asked about the Visegrad 4, though?
1: Yeah, basically. We've got about uh, two or three minutes left, just to give you a little heads up. We're running, quickly running out of time here, but yes, I'd love to hear more about what Hungary's doing, and it's called the Visi 4.
4: The Visegrad 4 is four countries it's Hungary, Poland, the Czech Republic, and Slovakia, I believe. Uh, the, there are other countries that are kind of loosely affiliated, Bulgaria, maybe in there, and Bulgaria's on the front line with Turkey. And if we had another hour, I would do with the whole thing on Bulgaria because it's extraordinary what's going on there. Volunteer, uh, massive numbers, large, well-uniformed and well-equipped uh, militias, amateur, volunteer militias protecting the border. It's so bad in Bulgaria, and it's of course it's going to end up being horrible. But anyway, the Visegrad Four. These are people that actually have a memory of Islamic occupation. Right, we're talking about the Hungarians have a very vivid recollection of fairly recent Ottoman uh invasions of their countries where again the women were taken as sex slaves the boys were taken as janissary soldiers for the muslim armies uh the men were enslaved or beaten or killed or otherwise made second class citizens uh, called dimmies um the the muslim invasion has been all across europe multiple times from the 10th century where charles martel and france fought them off to more more modern times but our history books have wiped it all clean for reasons that utterly escape me um but the, in Central Europe and Central Eastern Europe, they have not. So, if you want to talk to anybody sensible about this, talk to a Hungarian, a Polish person, uh, somebody from the Czech Republic, because they also remember the slavery of Soviet communism. Right? They were also behind the Iron Curtain. So these guys have a memory of slavery, both again, both under communism and under Islam. And so they formed an organization, which is they're defending themselves against the European Union, which they recognize as being just a new form of international socialism and they want to make this one world thing where all distinct European cultures are destroyed to make this new kind of Arabia homogenous thing for, again, reasons that are not good ones and will not work. Just like no communism ever works. What works is diversity. Diversity means Spain is Spanish, Italy is Italian, Poland is Polish, and we get along sometimes we don't get along sometimes, but we all have our own different ways of doing things and it's wonderful to travel and visit. That works, and it's worked for centuries. So the, the Visegrad Four has formed a union against the European Union that is seeking their destruction. I don't have time to go into the details now, but oh my goodness, they, the, uh, the leader of Hungary, who's a, a, a fellow named uh, Viktor Victor, um, Orban, yes. Victor with a K, he actually came right out and said that the European Union had been secretly paying municipal governments within Hungary and other visitor Red 4 countries to take migrants when the federal government specifically refused them. Illegal migrants. These are migrants who absolutely, under no European law or, or federal law from these different countries, had any right to be there. And the European Union was shipping them directly into municipalities after paying the mayor and the city council. Makes you wonder what happened in Ottawa. Yeah, so no this kidding. Is, uh, this is this is something the European Union did. This is Brad four standing against it. They're building border fences, and they are they are they're talking the talk and they're walking the walk. And I'm telling you, Hungary actually. Oh, oh, hang on.
1: I hate they, to do this to you, James.
4: Offered, yeah, Go ahead.
1: Go, no finish problem. your
4: thought.
1: I get it. Yeah, we, we're just we're just flat out of time. Orban, Go ahead. I'll give you the time. Go ahead and finish.
4: Victor Orbán actually specifically said that he would accept real European refugees from Germany or France or the Netherlands who were being forced out of their countries because of the Islamic migration. That, that were, you know, Jewish people or gay people or just regular, uh, you know, Christian, indigenous Europeans, when they, if, if they needed to leave their own homes because of what was happening, that Hungary would take them. He would take real refugees, but not these phony ones. Kind of like America. what Canada
1: should be doing instead of what it is doing.
4: Precisely.
1: All right, With that I got to stop you there, friend. It's been a it's been a pleasure having you on. We'll have to have you again uh, back real soon to finish up on that conversation. Thank you very much, Vlad, and we'll talk to you again real soon. Anytime. All right, that wraps it up for the Nick at Night show here on uh, <laughs> here at Nick at Night. Uh, I'll see you all again next week. In the meantime, ubicati toss et amor Dea CBS. Good evening. God bless. Don't let anything disturb your peace, and may you have a fair wind. And a following sea of all the comrades that it I
2: had, they're sorry for my going away, and all the sweethearts that e'er I had, they wish me one more day to stay.
0: But since it fell. Yeah. Yes.